Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then Stripe tap to pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Many folks in our audience have supported independent news directly for up to five years. Be like them. Become a DTNS member today at patreon.com slash DTNS. This is the Daily Tech News for Monday, January 28th, 2019. From Studio Feline, I'm Sarah Lane. And uh, I'm the show's producer, Roger Chang. Tom is out on vacation this week, so we are going to be joined by... Uh, Yeah, Tom is thankfully having a little downtime this week. Roger and I are super excited to have not only Kiki Sanford, host of This Week in Science. Hey, Kiki. Hello. It's great to be here. Thank you. Good to have you. We also have Aaron Carson, reporter from CNET. Hi, Aaron. Hello. It's a it's a full house today. We got Roger and the you know and the three uh, the three ladies. Um, we had a spirited conversation before the show started about insects, <laughs> <laughs> which we'll just go ahead and leave in the pre-show. <laughs> but All first, Crawley. Yeah, exactly. Let's start with a few tech things you should know. Dropbox announced plans to acquire the electronic signature company HelloSign for $230 million in cash, which is the largest acquisition in the company's history. HelloSign will operate independently with its CEO, Joseph Walla, reporting directly to Dropbox SVP of engineering and product, Quentin Clark. Dropbox says, don't worry, it will continue to work with other electronic signature providers as well. For now, anyway. In a note to investors, NVIDIA lowered Q4 revenue guidance, citing, quote, deteriorating macroeconomic conditions, particularly in China. We've heard this one before. The company now expects Q4 revenue of $2.2 billion, which is down 19% from their original $2.7 billion guidance. NVIDIA said both data center and gaming divisions would see declining revenue, specifically citing crowded channel inventory following the end of the cryptocurrency mining boom. So I guess there's some gamers out there who are excited that GPU prices have gone back down. And the Bluetooth Special Interest Group, also known as SIG, which is a nonprofit organization that has overseen Bluetooth development since way back in 1998, announced the upcoming Bluetooth 5.1 for developers that integrates new direction finding features into Bluetooth enabled products. So 
This is a little bit more similar to GPS. The new feature can pinpoint exactly where another Bluetooth 5.1 enabled object is down to the centimeter rather than to within a few meters as it has been thus far. All right, let's talk a little bit more about Apple and gaming. Alex Heath over at Shutter site sources that report that Apple is in the early stages of planning a subscription game service, which would offer potentially unlimited access to a bundle of games for that typical subscription fee. Apple reportedly began private discussions with game developers to join the service in the second half of 2018. The report also stated that Apple has had talks with developers about exclusively publishing titles and assuming distribution and marketing and other related costs. No word on pricing or the types of games that the service might include. So Aaron and Kiki, I am the resident kind of non-gamers. Don't subscribe to any uh, uh, subscription services for for gaming at this time. But there are a few. If Apple wants to get into this game in a serious way, it's already a fairly crowded market. Uh, what are your What are your thoughts on what the pricing would be, and and if Apple's a little late to the game here? Yeah, I'm I'm kind of like you, Sarah. Where I'm mostly I, I play the free mobile games <laughs> right. on my phone. So that was one of my big questions is the types of games, because um, I think for the crowd of folks who's just there to play something maybe on their phone and the bus when they have a few minutes, uh, there's a lot of offerings out there already. That said, but the uh, the ability of a particular game distributor to get into a deal where they don't have to advertise like through the app store, they potentially do now to get customers to know about their new games that they're putting out on the store. If they are throwing them into a subscription service through Apple, it might make it easier for fans of certain game developers and distributors to access them. I mean, it still has a long way to go to show whether or not they can do it, though. It's very interesting because Apple for the longest time has always kind of downplayed gaming aspects on their platform. It's not that they say, no, games can't be played, but it wasn't something like, hey, this is going to be the thing you want to play games on. And they've really stressed that uh, over the years. And I'm wondering if there is an ulterior motive that they had with implementing this, um, or do they have something bigger down down the line? Like, you know, what tar- what platform are you targeting? Are you targeting the iPhone? Are you targeting mm-hmm. the Apple TV? Are you talking? Are you targeting their you know laptops or you know? I mean, because it's not like in the same way an Xbox or a PlayStation Four, uh, where you have you know a defined target hardware and you can just write for that and you can unleash whatever shovelware you want. Um, but you know, at the same time, they could see like, well, you know what? If we get enough people to play you know, a variation on Farmville or Clash of Clans or whatever, and we just get a little bit of a percentage of the microtransactions, it could pad out our bottom line. Well, and this, I think the timing is interesting. If this pans out to be at all in line with Apple offering original content, we're still sort of waiting for how that rollout's going to look at it, it look like. And Gaming and original content, as far as the, the video side, two different things. But if you start thinking of them as something that is offered as a bundle. We all know, all of us who work in the podcast world, getting something featured by Apple can be really beneficial, potentially yep. very lucrative. If Apple and a game developer are working together for promotion and visibility and uh, you know pushing certain games to the forefront, perhaps even working on development in some capacity, yep. that can be really advantageous no matter who you are. And if they're making more money from this game development stuff, uh, maybe it'll balance out some of that those loss in sales on the iPhone. Too. 
<laughs> All right. Let's talk a little bit about Facebook. We have a few Facebook stories today, but we'll start with Facebook video. Last year, Facebook committed about $1 billion to buy in shows for Watch, which is its streaming video service that shows up as a tab within the overall Facebook timeline experience. Kind of changed a little bit since it started, but it's there. Research company eMarketer estimates that Facebook could take in almost double what YouTube's $4.3 billion in video ad sales made this year when it reports its quarterly earnings on Wednesday. It would be for their year prior, rather. But it expects Watch to account for only a sliver of that whole number. Unlike the Netflixes of the world, Facebook has said in the past it doesn't expect to pay up front for shows in the long term. The idea is that shows will be able to attract enough viewers on Watch so that the producer's share of Facebook ad revenue will account for their compensation. Well, I I I have not personally uh, participated in Watch. I know several uh, individuals and smaller companies that have with varying results. And for the most part, I'm still wondering how serious Facebook is about watch. I think the idea that it would take on YouTube, uh, take on, I don't know, wherever you're, 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 you're seeing a lot of your content, whether it's original programming, uh, uh, something that, you know, me or Aaron or Kiki or Roger might upload all of that stuff. It doesn't seem to be a thing yet, um, in any capacity. And maybe I'm wrong, Aaron, have you been, uh, have, have you had much, um, much experience with watch thus far? Uh, personally, not a whole lot. I think that it's still kind of at that stage where if it wants to be spoken in the same breath as places like Hulu and Netflix, it kind of needs to produce some type of a, a you know, buzzworthy hit. <laughs> um, right. The kind of stuff that kind of keeps us going back to those larger platforms to see what else they're offering. I also wonder how much watch suffers from being part of the overall Facebook experience. For example, Instagram, arguably one of Facebook's most crown jewels. Um, it is certainly owned by Facebook, but it is it opera, uh, operates independently. You could say the same thing about WhatsApp. In fact, some of Facebook's more interesting products, many people don't realize are Facebook products. I don't know if that means that watch needs to be uh, you know, bundled in some way that really separates it from the Facebook timeline and also gets it away from people saying, well, I don't want to watch stuff on Facebook. That's weird. I want to watch stuff on, yeah, my Apple TV or my, you know, my cable news subscription. Kiki, uh, as a video producer, uh, how does watch uh, resonate with you? Well, if they become something similar to YouTube where I can upload my content and then it gets, you know, given out to people according to some algorithm and it increases the number of views I can get for content, then that's great as long as they're sharing revenue. Um, otherwise, if they're trying to develop um, very specialized deals with producers, I think that the idea that eventually they're going to be asking for those deals on spec is you know, a little unfair to producers who might want to be doing something at a fairly high quality uh, that takes a high budget. So it's a... Uh, yeah, it, it's a double-edged sword. I think Facebook still has a long way to go before they can actually show that they're a good place for video. Canalyst published a report showing that smartphone shipments in China, which we know have fallen, fell 14% in 2018, reaches their, reaching their lowest level since 2013 for a total of 396 million units. This marks the second straight year of decline after a 4% drop in 2017, so much bigger drop last year. The Chinese smartphone market also consolidated with the top five manufacturers claiming 88% of shipments in 2018, which is up from 73% 
the year prior. Huawei and Vivo bucked the trends and grew their shipments by 16 and 19% respectively. Oppo and Xiaomi each saw single-digit declines, with Apple declining 13% on the year and maintaining the number five spot in the country. We've talked in the past about the fact that fact that the uh, a weakening Chinese smartphone market has hurt Apple. Um, yeah, and 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 we've we've spoken about that. Of course, there's also the Indian market that Apple has not necessarily seen declines in, has just yet to get a foothold in. When it comes to the largest you know economy in the world, um, take it. But yeah. Go ahead, Raj. Oh, no. <laughs> We're making the same thing here. But what you kind yeah. of see is a maturing of a of a market, but also kind of like where consumers are at the where plateau. Like I got a phone that does everything I need it to. Don't need anything new or shiny to replace it. But you also notice that the companies that have seen unit growth were probably eating into the market share of their competitors. So it's not so much that the overall market has grown, but that they've been just been able to etch and pull market share away from uh, competing like Huawei from Oppo or Apple or, or Xiaomi. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, part of this it is this kind of this story that China is kind of the, the one and only place where you can sell stuff and people will buy, you know, like, oh, we're going to buy it. We're going to sell it. We're going to make millions in China. It's like at some point a market could saturate. Eventually it will get saturated. And I think this is where we're at. And, you know, they might have to start focusing on not just hardware, but services, something that Apple has been pushing hard towards because, you know, once everyone has a, an iPhone, even if it's not the latest and greatest, they might not need a new phone, but they could definitely use, you know, a health service or a t- video watching service or something else. Well, I think like any any economy, you know, look at look at any any economy around the world, if you get enough people who start having, in this case, smartphones that are good, I mean, some are fancier than others, but good enough that you're going to get a bunch of people who now have smartphones that don't need to upgrade once a year, of course, you're going to have a slowing market. Of course, that's going to happen anywhere. So yeah, I think any company who's sort of like, well, don't worry, once we get the Chinese market, we're good to go. It's going to slow no matter where you are. Or move All to right. India. <laughs> yeah, or do that. <laughs> We're cut up for either as well. Let's move back to Facebook, though. A lot of Facebook stories today. Recent changes by Facebook also restricted the ability of political transparency activist groups to monitor political ads. So Facebook says that this change was the result of unauthorized access of data by third-party browser plugins. Two companies, Who Targets Me and ProPublica, say that their web extensions get full consent from users before accessing data. Now, in late 2018, Facebook launched a political ad archive to be more transparent, but Who Targets Me co-founder Sam Jeffers says that Facebook's effort was inadequate because it doesn't provide meaningful information on why users are targeted or who's behind the targeting. Oh, boy. Facebook targeting. Uh, Kiki, how much is this, does this bug you? How much, how much do you follow these stories? Because uh, there, there are many these days. There are so many. And it just, it's another nail in the coffin for Facebook, I think. I think at this point, Facebook has the onus on them to, uh, to do better, right? To show the world that they are not this evil company, if that's what they, you know, the face that they want to show. And if they are in, putting practices into place, putting uh, authentications into place that get in the way of some of these transparency uh, watchdogs, maybe they should be talking to those watchdogs and working with them to make sure that everything can be transparent. 
Because at this point, it seems like Facebook is still trying to hide stuff. Aaron, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, Facebook says we want to be transparent. We're working to provide more transparency. I think a lot of Facebook users don't necessarily understand that's happening or where they can get that information. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, one of the biggest battles, one of the biggest battles, you know, Facebook has to deal with is, you know, if they say that they want to provide more transparency, you have um, kind of like a perception problem. Uh, If you see news story after news story come out showing that maybe that's not the case and that there's all these kind of unsettling things happen, it kind of erodes at the general trust. So, uh, yeah, it's (laughs) it's a problem. Well, in the same vein, and this one's pretty interesting, the company, we're still talking about Facebook, released a draft charter as part of a plan announced last November to revamp the way that content policy decisions are made. So this is Facebook specifically, but you might say, well, maybe other companies might adopt the same thing if it works well. Here are the deets. The proposal states that the board will have about 40 members and include experts with experience in content, privacy, free expression, human rights, journalism, civil rights, safety, and other relevant disciplines. The member list will be public. Members serve uh, one three-year term automatically, renewing just one time. The board will have final say and can reverse Facebook's own decisions when necessary. Cases will be referred through a user appeal process and also directly from Facebook. The board will not include former or current Facebook employees, uh, contract workers, or government officials. Kind of sounds like politics. <laughs> so okay so so this is on its uh, on the surface you say this sounds pretty good facebook's gonna create this independent board these will not be facebook employees there'll be people who have uh, uh disciplines in lots of areas that we we all care about this will make facebook stronger how much do we feel that this is posturing versus a, a real new strategy for facebook going forward considering that so many people are on the platform I think I, it's going to take actually showing it, you yeah. know, putting it into place and and seeing if it works. In a way, it's kind of both. It is posturing, but it's also posturing in a way that says, "Hey, look, we've we've created, we're going to plan." And granted, this is still a proposal; it's a draft stage. We're waiting for feedback. It's not finalized, so none of this is set in stone. Mm-hmm. Um, but what they want to have essentially is a way to offload political hot potatoes onto someone else that. You know, they say, hey, look, you know, the board's going to handle this particular issue because it involves various countries and political parties and we don't want to deal with it. Let someone else think about it. Right. And when you get mad, we'll say it was our independent board. Yeah. And it's (laughs) like, you know, in a way, it's kind of building up your own whipping boy. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm going to just set this up. And if anything bad happens, well, you know, we tried our darndest, but we gave it to this independent board filled with, you know, the, the finest people we could find. Uh, or that were that would be willing to work with us on this board somehow. Uh, and it, I don't know, it'll be interesting. And like what Kiki said, I mean, the proof is in the pudding. Whether or not this gets implemented and how it gets implemented uh, will be the determining factors. Aaron, do you imagine a world where a Facebook independent board can reverse something that Mark Zuckerberg wants to do? I think so much, so much of it just remains to be seen. I remember when this, uh, the kind of news of this broke in November, I, I did the write up for CNET and I talked to a few analysts and I remember one of the kind of the main quotes I got was, um, an analyst who was saying, this is all going to come down to structure and substance because right now when we don't really know anything, it does sound like posturing and like, well, we've, we've got to do something. We've got to say, 
something in order to, you know, look as if we are like pushing forward in this matter. So it's, uh, yeah, I think that there's a, there's a long way to go. Yeah, we, uh, (laughs) if I could, if I could channel Tom Merritt, because he's not here today, he'd (laughs) say, listen, what they're doing is better than doing nothing. It doesn't mean that this is, this is all posturing. It might actually be extremely helpful. And that's very true. Uh, I think we're all in agreement that the way that this shakes out and how effective the board is and how seriously uh, something that the board might disagree with uh, Facebook's own internal executive team on and and be able to make real change that affects the general public in ways that we would all agree are good ones is the proof in the pudding. All right, before we get into our discussion topic of the day, I want to remind everybody that we you can get all the tech headlines each day in about five minutes or even less if you subscribe to dailytechheadlines.com. In fact, I'll be doing them tomorrow. Okay, let's get into our discussion story. We mentioned it a little bit earlier in the show, the idea that robots are taking jobs and everybody's worried about it. But what does that really mean? How much uh, jobs that are performed by humans can can become autonomous tasks. And how does your geographic location or your demographic area of expertise get affected by this? Aaron, uh, you wrote up a really interesting story for CNET um, that noted uh, a few studies, um, uh, one in particular that came out last year, that gives us a little bit more insight on on who might want to worry and what kind of jobs are specifically affected. Yeah. So the Brookings Institution just, you know, put out the study, as you mentioned, that had this kind of scary number that by 2030, you know, robots could replace humans in about a quarter of all U.S. jobs. And so that's the kind of, you know, we get these studies from time to time that talk about job loss and the future of work. And I always kind of say you have to look for the gray area between all of them because a lot of it does sound very dire. Mm hmm. Okay, well, doom and gloom aside, if we shouldn't be worried about the fact that I don't know a quarter of the jobs that we uh, that that people are are performing and getting paid for each day um, are are actually going to to turn into autonomous jobs, you know, where where do people go from there, and who is at a disadvantage um, when you're talking about certain demographic groups or 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 where they live? Yeah. So, you know, a a study like this is is interesting because, like you said, it starts to break down what kinds of jobs are more or less safe. So they talk about uh, these jobs in terms of high exposure to automation or medium exposure. Uh, Some of the key things that, you know, came out of of this um, were that in this study, it was kind of interesting that I think men were a little bit more exposed to automation than women. Um, I think it was like something like 70% of, you know, workplace job exposure. Um, uh, I just thought, yeah, that, that, that uh, women comprise about 70% of the workplace with like low job exposure. Um, it also talked about how folks in more rural areas or smaller, smaller metro areas could have a higher risk of being exposed to automation versus folks in big cities. Not that if you live in a big city, you're entirely isolated from uh, the threat of automation. And also uh, kind of the idea that, you know, automation could potentially widen some of the inequalities that we see in society already, where, you know, certain underrepresented minority groups could stand to be uh, kind of further disadvantaged 
as automation takes a hold. Kiki, I know, I, I know, uh, as a robot loving human, uh, you've, you've, you've probably <laughs> thought about this. Uh, I, no one's going to take your job at this week in science. That's for sure. But, but, but what, are your thoughts on, yeah, right. uh, what are your thoughts on, especially, uh, what Eric had mentioned, uh, there, there are some studies that point to, uh, males being more at risk, but then those studies also say, well, but that's because historically more males are in managerial roles that might be automated because they're potentially higher paying roles. And that's where companies can make more money. It's quite nuanced. It's very nuanced. Um, I mean, I think we're going to see areas where, you know, income inequality uh, is going to play a major role there. Educational uh, inequality will play a role and also, you know, these potential for automation type jobs. And so women, for example, even though they maybe have less of a fear of automation in some places, a lot of the jobs may be secretarial or assistant type jobs that could easily be automated by AI programs. Um, and there, you know, there's a, a big question there as to who is going to be able to withstand the automa- automation revolution that is coming. Well, what's fascinating in all this data, and I, I added one more bit at the bottom with a, a journalist uh, and a Boston University professor, Ellen Show, who wrote a book titled Job Work and Its Future in a Time of Radical Change. She makes the point that a lot of the AI, the machine learning that that dev- uh, a lot of firms are developing aren't targeted toward the low-end jobs. They're targeted to what Kiki was saying, like middle managerial and upper mid upper managerial because that's where they pay the most bucks and that's where they have they would realize the most savings and so you have this kind of weird outcome where the stuff on the very bottom probably won't be automated out of existence and the stuff at the very top but it's everything in the middle right and so you know, well, and a lot of us, anybody who's worked at, at, at any sort of mid to large size company, you know, you you hear that mumbling, grumbling about middle management. What do they do? And I think that that does play into this. Not that all middle managers are ineffective, not at all. But there is, yeah, there's sort of this swath of the workforce that is somewhere in the middle that can be replaced potentially. And it's not because those people aren't highly skilled. It's because they're in a position that's not actually as skilled as they could be. But then you get to the point of like, okay, well then what do these people do? Or is there just less of a middle management structure? I think, you know, that's interesting to bring that because that's, that's kind of the dichotomy that (laughs) this, pardon me, the disconnect is that even if you're skilled, like your degree four year university degree skilled doesn't mean you're safe. I mean, it's, it's both worrisome, but also very, uh, very eye-opening in that how people perceive jobs isn't necessarily affixed to the number of years of schooling you have or, or the amount. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. 
Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high volume, high speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to keep them at the frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then Stripe tap to pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. One of education is this type of education. If you do something creative, you do something very unique that's very hard to automate, you, you have a higher chance of withstanding automation versus like, hey, I'm a CPA. I went to school to be a CPA. CPA is all I do. Oh, great. Mm-hmm. You have a program that can, you know, it's a virtual CPM. I'm kind of, kind of worried now kind of thing. It's, 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 yeah. it's such a mixed bag. And I think and we have, we were having this session earlier, you know, just telling people to, to skill up, go get an education isn't necessarily the answer. It depends on the education. And I, I feel like the story that's being told to people to say, hey, this is great. Automation is going to be so good to us because it's going to free up people for those more creative pursuits and different questions. So maybe it will lead to a change in how we think of what work is. Yeah, Aaron, in your in your research, I know the medical industry is something uh, that gets pointed to a lot. Like doctors have to spend all this time, uh, you know, looking at uh, you know complicated X rays that a machine could do better, so that the doctor can take their expertise and and heal this patient that much quick more quickly. Like this is this is a good thing. We want automation because uh, we 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 keep uh, some I don't know paper pushing out of the equation. But I don't think all industries can 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 look to that um, and breathe a sigh of relief. Sure. And I think that, you know, I mean, for example, with like the medical industry, uh, the report mentioned, you know, you can look at the sort of the paperwork, you know, aspects of it that would be really good to automate. But at the same time, there's a lot of that that is dependent on social skills, things that we don't really want to automate that you might not necessarily um care for the bedside manner of a, of an algorithm. You know? right. <laughs> Although I've had some crappy doctors over the years, maybe I would prefer the robot. Hard to say. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, those algorithms, they can be so sweet and so kind. <laughs> yeah, they never yell. They never judge. They just tell me what I need to do. That's right. Hey, hey, thanks everybody who participates in our subreddit. You are all better than robots. You could never be automated. You can submit stories and you can vote on others at dailytechnewsshow.reddit.com. Had a lot of Facebook stories today and we've got a Facebook group as well. If you want to hang out with us on Facebook, facebook.com slash groups slash daily tech news show is where to go. All right. In the mailbag today, we got one from Aditya, who was actually commenting on Tom's editor's desk column uh, called Too Much Choice. It's his latest column. This is for for patrons. If you're not familiar, um, it is a wonderful companion 
uh, article that goes along with our news uh, that that Tom Merritt is doing with great abandon. Um, and Aditya said, I moved to the U.S. from India as an adult. Walking into the grocery store was the exact same experience that Tom spoke about. And so was my experience now buying electronics in India. And that's about having brand loyalty. Whenever I have to buy a new phone for my dad back home, I just end up buying a Samsung. It fits my budget. There's so many choices within Samsung, of course, from other companies like Xiaomi or Oppo or Micromax. I'm sure they make great phones, but I just want a reliable phone without spending hours researching them, which will only probably have small differences. I end up going with a brand I trust. And even within that brand, my deciding factor is usually just price. Just a thought. So I'll add to Tom's thoughts and also use this opportunity to compliment you guys on the amazing work. Cheers. Well, thank you, Aditya. And I thought, uh, Kiki and Aaron, I, I, I certainly have brand loyalty. Sometimes it doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, I'm still loyal to Sony, even though I haven't bought a Sony television in years, but it's still something that I kind of hold on to. And I, it's just one of those things. I'd probably say the same thing for Apple, although that's changing a little bit. Uh, but I think Aditya has, he makes a good point. Unless you work for the wire cutter, how many hours do you really want to spend researching this stuff? Um, and I think, I, I think that, that becomes something that it's not because we're ill-informed. It's because we simply don't have the time. I think that's the way it is for many people. And not having the time is a huge reason why branding and brands are so important. You create a brand that people can trust, that they know they can always come to you for quality, and people will. And so, yeah, I mean, Apple computers, I still love. I've never been an Apple phone fan, but I have my Samsung, and I have had several of those in a row. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron, what are, what are your thoughts? Do, are, are you a brand loyalist or or does your line of work uh, keep you honest? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I try and use um, a variety of things if I can. I get tied into ecosystems. I think that that, you know, most often is the thing that kind of keeps me buying the, the same thing over and over. Um, but in the non-tech world, yeah, I mean, I have my car preferences and my guitar preferences and all that kind of <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I'm actually in in the market for a new car now. And I will say I agree with Tom, there's simply too much choice. Uh, It's an embarrassment of riches, certainly. uh, But I'll find a way to complain about the fact that there are too many cars out there. Hashtag first world problems. Exactly. (laughs) Poor me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of keeping me honest, thanks to Dr. Kiki Sanford for being with us. Kiki, we missed you. It's so nice to see you and let folks know where they can keep up with your amazing work. Thank you for having me on. It's always such a pleasure. You can find me at twist.org, T-W-I-S dot O-R-G for my podcast. And you can subscribe on YouTube, Google, and uh, what's the other place? Uh, iTunes. Yes, that other one. (laughs) Perhaps even (laughs) Facebook Watch. Yes, perhaps. We'll (laughs) see. And you can find me on Twitter at Dr. Kiki. Excellent. Aaron Carson, thanks also for being with us all the way from Kentucky. Um, Besides keeping warm, let folks know where they can keep up with your work. Yeah, you can always find me on CNET.com. And on Twitter, I'm just at Aaron Carson. Excellent. Well, thank you both for being with us. Also, thanks to our patrons. Our goal each month, you know it, is to get at least one more patron than last month. Just one. And more is even better, but just one. That's all That's all we ask. You could be the person that puts us over the top. You can become a DTNS member or, or 
or be a recruiter. <laughs> Get an ad-free RSS feed, special episodes from Tom on how we do the show, some behind-the-scenes stuff, special episodes looking back on tech news of yesteryear, and lots more. You can sign up at patreon.com slash DTNS. We also have a store. Uh, if you want a mug, maybe a sweatshirt, maybe a hat. Got good hats. DTNS, dailytechnewsshow.com slash store is where to go or buy somebody a gift. They're real nice. Our email address is feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com. We're also live Monday through Friday. If you can join us live, please do. 4.30 p.m. Eastern, 21.30 UTC. You can find out more at dailytechnewsshow.com slash live. Back tomorrow with Patrick Beja. Talk to you then. This show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Frog Pants Network. Get more shows like this at frogpants.com. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.